As Rebecca mentioned a, a minute ago, or when she was making announcements, we are obviously celebrating not just the Christmas season, but Advent. Some of that, some of you would be familiar with this idea going way back from maybe your, your childhood, um, depending on your background. But what does Advent mean? It means coming, really. It's about anticipation. That's really what it is. The anticipation of the weeks as the church, uh, you know, uh, universal, celebrates, acknowledges the birth of Christ. But it's an opportunity, really. Why do you do it every year? Um, it's an opportunity for us to prepare, you might say, even those of us who are Christians in this room, to prepare to make room uh, for Christ to come into your life, to be more central in your life in a new way, right? That's really what Advent's about. It's an opportunity to say, I want to make more room for the coming of Christ, the coming of Jesus into my life uh, this, uh, this month, this season, as we prepare uh, to celebrate Christmas. But to do that, okay, something else has to go, right? If I want to make more room in my life for the advent, the coming of Christ or the presence of Christ, something has to go. And advent is an opportunity, celebrating Christmas is an opportunity uh, for us also to relinquish, this is my challenge today and this month, the grip that the present has on our lives and on our imaginations, right? It's just, it's just, you know, it's every day it comes in a, in, in a hundred different ways, the present, it's, its urgencies, its fears, its anxieties to take over your life. And Advent is an opportunity to relinquish the, the, the grip that the present has on your life and to shift toward a new future, that God has for you, a new future from God. And it really is an opportunity to challenge the belief. And I think this is something that's true for every person, but it's true for Christians too, that the future is only gonna be an extension of the present, right? We talk, this is a series called New Hope, you know? And I think the, the absence of hope in the world, whether you're a person of faith or not, is coming to the place, whether it's in your marriage, in your job, in everyday existence, to believe, and we come to this conclusion, oh, some of us are convinced of this actually, that the, the future is only going to be an extension of the present, right? The present, you know, frustrations, the present uh, inequities, the present, you know, uh, absences in our life, the future is only an extension of the present, an advent, right? We're celebrating the birth of Christ, making room for the message that's at the heart of the birth of Christ is an opportunity to open yourself up to say that the present there has new opportunities, right? The future has new opportunities that God wants to bring, right, that are different than what's going on in the in the present. Well, the, the passage that I want to look at today is a great example of this. It's in the book of Isaiah. If you have a copy of the Bible, open up to the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. You can hardly miss it near the end of your Old Testament. One of the largest books in the Bible, the book of Isaiah, is the 62nd chapter. Now, the book of Isaiah, just as a quick introduction to the few verses that we will read, it's one of the great um, prophets. It's the one that Jesus uh, talks about and quotes from the most. And it was written to the nation 
at a time of tremendous prosperity, perhaps the best prosperity that they had in the Old Testament. After the great kingdom of David and Solomon, the great you know, uh, uh, commercial success and in military success, the land expansion that they had, it was a time of great prosperity. But that prosperity, right, not too, too different from our own day, brought about um, some very unintended consequences, right? That prosperity resulted in a lot of inequity in the distribution of wealth in Israel. It brought about a lot of perversion and justice in Israel, and it ultimately brought a superficial kind of worship uh, that ultimately together brought the judgment of God. And much of the book of Isaiah if you read this long book, is about, that. we talked about this last week with Micah as well, is about the coming judgment because Israel had forfeited its God in many ways. However, like Micah, the latter chapters of the book of Isaiah, there is a new hope, right? It looks to the future and says, all is not lost. God has uh, a new future for you. Yet in this particular chapter where I get my title for my message today, he talks about Israel getting a new name. Isaiah 62, let's read the whole chapter. Why don't you stand to your feet here as we read this whole chapter from the Bible. Isaiah 62, listen as I read this morning. For Zion's sake, that's another way of talking about Jerusalem or the people of God, I will not keep silence. One of these passages where the, where the actual, the, the, the voice of God takes first person. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all the kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate. You will be called Hephzibah, which means my delight is in her, and your land Beulah, which means married. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God rejoice over you. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, never again will I give your grain as food for your enemies, and never again will foreigners drink the new wine for which you have toiled. But those who harvest it will eat it and praise the Lord, and those who gather the grapes will drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Pass through, pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, raise a banner for the nations. The Lord has made pro a proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, see your Savior comes. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called sought after the city no longer deserted. You may be seated. 
God breaks through, right? The, the, the image here, I will no longer be silent, is all, it's sort of like a parent or a person who just cannot take it any longer. And as he looks over, you'd have to read the whole book of Isaiah, and there's all this coming judgment and all this bad news and all this self-defeating, self-destructive behavior, almost like a parent, you know, looking at a child who's, who's, whose life has just gone down the wrong way, who's, 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 whose life is falling apart, and, 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 and they've just made all these bad choices and their heart breaks and finally say, I can't take it anymore, right? That's how, that's the the, the idea of this passage. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And this begins, this this prophecy, this, this proclamation of a new hope, it begins with promise, right? The new name begins with a promise. Let me say something about why we look into the Old Testament. Why take time in these challenging passages in the prophets of the Old Testament? Why do we bother reading the Old Testament at all, right? Let me say something. It's very, very important, and I hope you are falling more in love with the Bible. Uh, Even Jesus, as I mentioned, of course, the Old Testament is Jesus' Bible, but as Jesus walked the earth and talked and talked and and, and taught and said, you want to know who I am, what God has for you, the good news of the kingdom, his most uh, referenced book, all of his references came from the Old Testament, but was from Isaiah, right? This was Jesus' favorite book, you might say, in the Old Testament. Why, Why do we go to the Old Testament? Because of this. The gospel that we celebrate, Torrance shaking his head, right? The gospel that we celebrate here today, it's what Christmas is about, God breaking into dark, closed, nothing's ever gonna change world in bringing new hope and new life and salvation and a future. The gospel that we celebrate is a re-performance of the exile and restoration of Israel. That's what's going on. See, the gospel has changed its content you and I grew up in the, you know, in the, in the, in the 20th century, 21st century. We grew up when the church is a, a past event, right? We, the con- when we talk about the gospel, when I say what's the content, well, we say it's the, the, bear- the birth, celebrating Christmas, the death, the resurrection of Jesus. That's the content, and we believe in it. That's true. But the gospel is the, is the story, essentially, of God coming to a, uh, a, a disobedient and disinterested and broken humanity and coming to them, even though they're not interested, in demonstrating rescue and demonstrating love and giving them a new future and a new hope. That's, that's the story of the entire Bible, right? And what you see going on in the Old Testament, right? It's at, where, where I should say in the New Testament, is simply a reperformance, Right? That's what the church is, of what of the exile and restoration is. And it's the same thing in my own life. It's the, and this, by the way, guys, this is the essence of the Christian life, right? God's action to demonstrate love and redemption, which means bringing back from the, from the, from, from the, 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 the precipice, bringing back from the cliff, rescuing people from their own bad choices, right? God's action to loving and redeeming a, 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 a people at their lowest and disinterested point is the essence of the entire Bible, and it's the essence of the Christian faith. And if this kind of redeeming love does not electrify your soul at some level, I would question whether or not you've ever experienced the gospel, right? Because this is what it's about. This is what the entire Bible is all about. Uh, 
about. And if, and, and, and if, you, if you really want to capture the amazing grace of Isaiah 62, you need to go back and read the rest of the prophecy of Isaiah, and I can't do it for you. But even if you read nothing more than chapter 1, You'd see uh, that the, the nation of Israel had oppressed, uh, its, uh, the, the, its, it, was, it was under great oppression by its own people. They oppressed their own people. They had extorted their own people. They had become so corrupt internally that their worship had become a charade. They were, God had to intervene because they were about to self-destruct. But God does it because it's almost like a parent. That's what I love about this passage. You know, for Zion's sake, I can't keep silent. Those of you who have kids have had these moments, and I had a moment as I was reading this passage, and I'm going to share a story with you that, that I'm going to probably lose a parent friend or two by sharing this story, but I'm going to share it because it so illustrates the point. It's a parent breaking through and saying, I can't take it anymore. I, can't, I have to break the silence. I've got to come in. And when I was in the eighth grade, I came to school one day, and... Um, I was caught in my book bag, ready for this, parents, was some marijuana. You think, pastor, no. I, and, and I'll tell you, that's what I thought too. In fact, I was convinced, Cerami, I'll tell the rest of that story. He went to school with, he knows the rest of the story perhaps, right? Um, I was convinced, you know, it was just a question of, you know, wrong book bag, right? Right? It was my brother's book bag, not my book bag, right? No one bought that story. But uh, uh, I had to sit in the principal's office, right? Because when something like that happens, uh, your parents get called. And my mother had a job, and she couldn't just come right away. And so she had to, she had to um, I had to sit there in the principal's office. Which, I don't know, maybe it was two hours. It seemed like forever. And let me tell you something. Those of you who, who've, uh, the two or three of you who've done wrong things in your life, right? Um, <laughs> Um, when you're young, when, you're, when your mind, you're, you're not fully mature, it's amazing what, um, what you think. I remember sitting there thinking, listen, I, was, I wasn't just in a little trouble. I was in, this was the biggest trouble I was ever going to be in. I could hardly imagine what was going to happen, right? I mean, my mother was going to show up. They were going to have the, I mean, I literally had visions of, of not only my mother and the principal just, you know, uh, giving it to me, but uh, uh, I, I'm going to jail, right? I'm going to be in the county. Me? In my little, you know, Batman lunchbox and, you know, uh, 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 these guys with tattoos behind bars, you know? And I just sat there just thinking, in a sense, like, almost like is my, my eighth grade mind, like it was the end of the world, right? So my mother came. We had a discussion. She, you know, she listened. She said what she needed to say. She said, principal, you know, yes, yes, this will never happen again. Thank you. And as we walked out of that school, I remember thinking, wow, this is it, man. And you know my mother? She, she was so wise, you know, for, for Jerusalem's sake, I cannot keep silent. She, 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 she knew how incredibly terrified I was. She knew how I'd probably spent two or three hours, you know, just beating myself up. My mother said to me as we're walking out of that school, we're over in Aronico, and she said, honey, um, what do you say we go to Lums? Oh, you have to be old like me to know what Lums is. But it was a restaurant, like a, you know, a, a, a family restaurant like an Applebee's, which for my family, 
going out to a restaurant was like a very big deal. And I thought to myself, what in the world is she talking about? I just hit, this is the worst moment of my, I'm ready to go to the county jail and she says, honey, what do you think about going to Lums, right? This is what this passage is saying, right? Let me tell you what the gospel is. The gospel's not earning God's favor. The gospel is not earning God's love. The gospel is God coming and rescuing a disinterested, disobedient, broken humanity, a father's love. See, what does he say here? You will be, it's a promise, uh, be called by a new name. You will no longer be called deserted. That's what they're calling you now. You will no longer be called desolate. That's what you're be calling now. You will be called my delight and your land will be called marriage. Listen, Jesus still gives new names. This is what the gospel, Jesus still gives new futures to people who have lost theirs. This is what Christmas is about, not only for people who don't know Christ, but for you and I who do, right? It's a promise. It's a promise. Look at Isaiah quickly. Just turn left a little bit. Isaiah 43, chapter one. Just one verse. This is the heart of the gospel. But now this is what the Lord says. Think, put your own name here. He who created you, Jacob. He who created you, Patsy. He who created you, Bob. He who created you, Dave. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine, right? It's a promise of a new name. And let me tell you something. It doesn't just stop the day you become a Christian. You know, when, when, when Jesus walked the earth, he was, he was known to, to, to give people new names as a manner of speaking, to identify them with a new future. Also, one of my favorite stories in John chapter one, he meets Peter. And Andrew says, listen, I want you to meet Jesus. And he sees Peter and he says, Peter. And it says, Jesus looked at him right? Looked at him, which in Bible parlance means he looked into his heart and he said, you shall no longer be called Simon, but you shall be called Peter, which means a stone, a rock. And upon this rock, I will build. Now, when Jesus looked at Peter, right? He wasn't, he didn't call him that because that's what that was the kind of life that Peter led. That was the kind of person that Peter was. Peter was not that way, but Jesus looked at him for who he knew he would become, right? When I look into you, Peter, I can see into the future that I have for you, and I'm gonna call you Peter. I'm gonna call you Rock, and I'm gonna build my church with you, right? It begins with a promise. Second thing you see in this passage, a new name, it inspires a new urgency. It's my favorite part of the past. Inspires a new urgency. It ought to, right? When God demonstrates that kind of undeserved love in your life. Man, when my mother said, you want to go to Lums, I'm telling you, I could have, I felt like I was walking on, it was unbelievable. I thought this is impossible, right? That kind of love, that kind of, that kind of grace, ought to inspire you in amazing ways. And this is really what the gospel ought to do to you. He says this, after this promise of a new name, I will give you a new name, right? Isaiah 62. I will get, you will be called by a new name. You will be a crown. You will be called Hezbollah. The Lord will uh, give you a new land. Then he says this, verse six, I have posted watchmen on the walls, Jerusalem. Remember, this is poetry, but it's not that tough to understand what's going on. They will never be silent by day or by night. 
Now, what's he, now what does he, he says at the end of verse six? You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. What does he say? Listen, I'm gonna promise you a new name. I'm gonna promise you a new future. You're no longer gonna be called deserted. You're no longer gonna be called desolate. You're gonna be called the one that I love. You're gonna be called Beulah land. But, here's, but it's a promise. And he says, now what I want you to do, Jerusalem, is I want you to make sure that there are watchmen. I'm appointing watchmen. That's about prayer, right? People who will call on the Lord who will not give him rest until God delivers on the promises that he's made for your life, right? It's a, it's a new urgency. He says, I want you to be urgent about this. I want, and, and let me say something. When he says this, you call on the Lord, give no rest. Give him no rest till he establishes Jerusalem. You know, be, bother God, keep after him until he makes good on his promises. He's not talking about begging, right? This is an intimacy passage. The new urgency to call on God, to, for God will make good on his promises, the new urgency is based on an intimacy. It's not an employer. It's not some, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's, it's an urgency to want to have your debts relieved like it's a debtor. No. That's why he uses this image of a, a husband and a wife. As a young man marries a young woman, right? That's a love. That's intimacy. So will your builder marry you. He says, listen, you don't come to me as an employer. You don't come to me as a debtor. He is, God is your spouse. He is your uh, the lover of your soul, and he wants you to come with an urgency that someone who has, knows that they are loved has, right? This may be the application for, I think many of us struggle with hope today, believing or not believing that the future will be anything other than an extension of the present, right? Or not only in our own lives, but even in the life of our church, do we have an urgency about a new future? If we don't, I would say we've lost our urgency because we've lost our intimacy, right? That's what he's trying to inspire. Maybe that's true for, for some of our marriages as well. And also, the, much of the experience of Israel in Isaiah 62 is capturing the whole book was a, was a sort of futility that they were having in their experience. I think it says in another prophecy, it says, though you build houses, you will not live in them. Though you plant vineyards, you will never drink the wine. Much of the experience of Israel, because of their disobedience, because of their, um, their, the, the perversion and the corruption, they were, they were sowing in some sense, but they were not reaping. And he says in this passage, it's the part of the promise, Verse eight, the Lord has sworn by his right hand, never again will I give your grain as food to your enemies and never again will your foreigners drink the wine for which you have toiled. I think many of us, we, we experience a kind of futility in our lives where we don't seem to reap. The promises of God don't seem to become real and I would say it's because we've lost our urgency. And what he's saying in this passage, listen, the God's love for you, his promise for a new name ought to, ought to inspire you to a new urgency. And let me just look at one quick passage in the New Testament to show that this is true. Jesus, Luke 11, he's teaching on prayer. And it's the famous passage, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But the disciples start with the question, Lord, teach us to pray, right? Look what he says, verse five. Then Jesus says to them, Suppose, trying to teach them what's prayer about. What does it mean to get, to, to get urgent with your heavenly father? 
He's not your boss. He's not an employer. Suppose you have a friend and you, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose, it's a story, right? The one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, right? What does that mean? Your willingness to take bold risks. That's what he's talking about. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now, verse nine, the story's over. You say, well, is this a story that that's trying to communicate to us that God is like a, a mean judge who doesn't really like us, right? Some people have said this, and, and, and he's, he's not really for us. He's just sort of, you know, frustrated with us, but if we bug him enough, he'll give us what we want. Well, that's not what this is about. How do I know that? Because now that the illustration's over, the little story, he, he says this. So, application, verse nine. I say to you, does this paint a picture of a, an angry, disinterested judge? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I, I, this is, this is my, my, my conviction about me as an individual and about us as a church. God is, God is far more grieved with my indifference to him, your, my, your indifference to God, uh, your, 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 your lack of urgency than he is with your bad behavior, right? He says, listen, ask me. He says, I, my, I cannot keep silent anymore as I watch my kids just, you know, live an uninspired life, just live a self-destructive life. I got to break in and I want them to know that I love them and they are my, my, my child. They are my, my, my spouse. I've, I want to give everything to you and I want to inspire you, but that's just the beginning, right? He says, now ask me what you want. A- ask me to open up heaven and I'll pour out a blessing that you can't receive, right? Do you have that kind of urgency with God? Do I have that kind of urgency with God? This is what Jesus is saying. That the point of this little story is to inspire in you because of your shameless. Well, I want to write a book. I said to myself, I'm going to write a book called Shameless Audacity. I thought, I think Obama already wrote that book, right? <laughs> but I thought, what a beautiful passage, right? shameless audacity. That's what God, does that would, that, would someone say that about your relationship with God, maybe your spouse or someone that's close to you? Do you have a shameless audacity? In other words, no matter what, shameless means this, God, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your favor. Our church doesn't deserve, we want to do something great. You know, we don't deserve, shameless. But I'm coming anyway. Right? Ask and it will be given. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. For he who asks receives. Are you doing it? Or are you sitting around just saying, I don't deserve it. I'm not worth it, right? An uninspired, mediocre life, right? A new name ought to inspire a new urgency. That's what he's talking about. Set a watchman. What he's saying is this. Don't give God rest until he delivers on the blessings that go along with your new name, right? Uh, you, you shall be called Peter. Now, did Peter change overnight? No, he didn't. He was this impulsive, foolish, um, uh, you know, he, he went down before he went up. 
But you know what? He finally got it. And, you know, he turned the world upside down. Acts chapter 2, right? His preaching. Do not give up until he delivers on the blessings that go along with your name. Finally, how this passage ends, Isaiah. The new name positions us, or I should say, um, returns us to our sense of mission, right? This is what it's really all about. Returns us to our, because God doesn't just want you to know that he loves you and that he's for you and that he wants to demonstrate his love and his power. He has something for you to do, right? Some people say to me this all the time. If, if, if the gospel's true, pastor, then why doesn't God just take us, you know, it's the day we become Christians, just get us out of this mess because he has a purpose for you. He has a purpose for us. He has a purpose for this church. That's why. Verse 10, if you have the copy of the Bible open to you, right? He gives them a new name. He gives them a new urgency. Now he says a new purpose. Pass through, pass through the gates. You know, this, it's a poetic. He's talking about the temple. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Remove the stone. This is our job. Raise a banner, underline this, for the nations. What's your purpose, Israel? Your purpose is to prepare the way for the people, the nations, not Jewish people, and the, the people who don't know my name, what we talked about last week, the nations are streaming into Jerusalem. Our job, my job, your job, our job as a church is to prepare the highway, to remove the stones, to, to, to clear the rubble, to fix the building, to do whatever we need to do so that the people who don't know him can experience the love of God. For the people who are out there to think, you know what? The future is only an extension of the, of the uninteresting present. There's nothing interesting about life. Life is just one darn thing after another. It's never going to change. They don't know that there's a God who loves them, who has all authority and all power and wants to give them a new name and a new future, right? That when you and I get engaged in that business of preparing the way and removing the stones, It'll change your life. That's what's going on here. It returns us to our sense of mission. Jason and I were talking the other day just about, you know, 2018. And I said to him as we were thinking about next year, and I said, we're talking about a prayer, about prayer. Um, and I said, you know, one of, one of my favorite memories of the last year is we talked about the Reach Initiative. Some of you were here. It was September 11th, 2017, and we had we, all those names. We had these names on cards in August that people were praying for. And we had people come back at night. There was probably 150 of us, a lot for a prayer meeting. And we just stood on our feet and prayed. You know, people praying for their, their children and their neighbors and friends and, and just praying for God to do a work for people who don't know Christ. And it was one of the most beautiful moments, Right? Uh, that I can think of. This is, this is where we ultimately have this sense where God is, God's purposes are pulsating through us. Friday night, I had, um, I asked my, uh, some people to come over, my, my brother, sister-in-law, uh, sister, to help me, right? It was kind of a dinner, but it was like a, to help me um, clean my house, right? You know, to come over and help me sort of get my, uh, my not only, you know, organize my, my house, um, but to kind of Christmas-fy it. Because this Friday, right, coming up, I've decided um, to, um, and I, you know, invite 
you know, not every last person on my street, but most of them, you know, it's those I know and even those I don't. Just said we're going to have an open house and, I, and those four or five or six that I know I invited and every one of them I said, invite you invite another neighbor I don't know and put the little things in the mailboxes. I mean, right, I did this. And my sister said to me, she was joking, she said, you know, it's funny. She said, you know, you've been talking about this for weeks and she goes, you know, I mean, uh, I'm glad you're doing it but I, it's amazing how much effort you're putting into this. And after she said that, I thought about it yesterday and I thought, why is that, actually? I mean, I've had parties before, and, and I thought, you know why? Because this isn't just a, you know, your 10 best friends, because there's, there's something about this, right? I'm th- who knows, God, maybe one of these people, maybe two of these people that I've never, some of them I don't know or have met, know very, know very, very um, casually, maybe one of these people, this is the first step towards them coming to know the gospel and to coming to know Christ. And I thought, that, that excites me. In a sense, I feel God's pleasure, right? God has given you, if you're a Christian, a new name. It's a promise, though. Just not, to, not only who you are, but who he wants you to become. And with that new name, that God loves you, right? Despite your disobedience, despite your imperfections, despite your failures, it ought to inspire a new urgency, to want to see the promises of that new name realized and ultimately it ought to renew in you and renew in me and renew in us a new sense of mission because the joy that you long for, let me tell you something, it's not found in another present under the tree, kids, students. It's ultimately found in being used by God to be a channel of his love to prepare the way to remove the stones so that one more person on your street, one more person in your family, one more person in this community who today doesn't think there's a new future can have a new name and a new future and know the grace of God for the first time. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand with me. Let's, let's pray. And by the way, as Rebecca said, that's what tonight's all about, right? We got, uh, uh, I th- there's going to be, why we, you know, why is there food trucks and wagon rides and, and uh, yes, it's to have some fun, but listen, ultimately, it's to create an opportunity for you and me to invite a friend, even now, this late, invite a family to come and experience, maybe a first step, to come to a church and to walk away and go, wow, that didn't stink, you know? That wasn't what I thought. Those people are actually normal (laughs) and nice, right? And there was something, I can't put my finger on it, but something beautiful about that, right? It's called, it's, it's, it's the grace of God. So that's what tonight's about. That's what Christmas Eve services are about. Um, Experiencing a renewal of our sense of mission. Wow. Man, if we can get a hold of that, who knows what God might do. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity here this morning. Thank you for every person in this room. Lord, I am so deeply grateful I, 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 I couldn't, 
words could never do it justice. Um, the, 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 the gratitude that I have that you were willing to break your silence in my life, that you were willing, um, despite my self-centeredness, despite my foolishness, Lord, you were, you were willing to come into my life to give me a new name and a new hope and to say, I desire you, I love you, I wanna be your, uh, your God. What that did, Lord, for me, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Lord, thank you for that. And I pray for, for all of us that, we would, that love would capture our imaginations in a, in a greater way, that, Lord, it would inspire in us a new urgency to know that you are not our boss, you are not, Lord, um, you know, the tax collector. You are a heaven, a, a loving, heavenly Father who has demonstrated time and again your great love. And Lord, that you long to hear from us. You long to, to experience a kind of shameless audacity from us that we might be willing to come to you and to seek your grace, to seek your power, to seek the realization of your promises in our lives, that we might serve you and know the joy of serving you uh, in a new way. I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, wherever we might have lost our urgency, where we have lost our intimacy, Lord, may we, may we find it again uh, this day. Uh, may you inspire us and, and, and lift us Lord, towards a deeper relationship with you and a deeper engagement with you and a deeper uh, engagement with your purposes in the world, in what's going around here today. Help us, Lord. Use us as a church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.